Welcome to OK Video. Cool Runnings was shot here and set in Calgary. Eddie the Eagle was set here, but they shot it in Germany. And that's honestly the number one reason I never bothered checking it out. <laughs> did you see that movie? I did see that movie, and it's like it's I guess it's one of those things where people in the world don't know what Calgary looks like, but like they're at like the Calgary, like they're at the Olympic Plaza, like at the uh oh my goodness. COP, Canada yeah, at Olympic COP. Park. And yeah. it's like no, that's like in Calgary, like you can see the city from there, and they're like, no, they're in the middle of the like the mountains, type like of thing. the mountains, and yeah. it's like there was an Olympics in this little town in Germany. Like it, <laughs> something about it just was like, you guys, like we could have totally done this here. Like, yeah, and it's cheap have too. This stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's fine. I understand. But it's it's Taron and Hugh Jackman. Like maybe there's something cool going on. Well, and I think it's like a it's a very British crew. Like Dexter Fletcher made that movie. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, so the I'm a big Rocket Man fan, so that's okay. crazy. I just yeah. watched Sunshine on Leaf the other day, which oh, is, is his first movie. It's like okay. his, he did a first uh, he did a musical with only the music from the. Oh, go ahead, you move forward. I'm gonna figure this out. <laughs> yeah, we kind of fell on a tangent immediately. Uh, I'm Nathan Roar, formerly of Rogers Video Star Six One Three. I'm joined as always by Ryan McCullough. Hey, Ryan here. Um, the person who just watched Sunshine on Leaf and is currently researching to see what music that is from. But I'm here and I'm excited to be watching movies with my friend Nathan. Uh, this batch of episodes, we're looking at superior sequels, movies that shine despite a big shadow being cast on them. Uh, last week, we took a look at Predator 2 and had a split decision. Uh, Ryan advocating that is perhaps the best Predator film. And I took a more conservative stance and put it around number three on the list, maybe. Interesting. Okay. Uh, this time, we're looking at a franchise with even more films in contention, uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street, which i looking at it. I guess it's seven core movies, a versus film, and a reboot. Yes. So a lot of shadows around. Mm -hmm. But we're zeroing in on the second film in the franchise, Freddy's Revenge, which uh, came out in November 1985. It was directed by our hidden friend, Jack Shoulder. So, you know. <laughs> our, our hidden uh, friend. Our uh, hidden The guy friend. who directed a movie we covered in a previous, uh, The Hidden. Batch, right. If yeah. you hadn't listened to that one, Kyle McLaughlin. And yeah, uh, it cost $3 million to make and saved New Line by earning $30 million, 10 yes. times its budget. Yeah. So big hit in a way, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, big, big hit. Like 10 times as budget horror movies. Horror movies were kind of on the out when this, when Night of Nightmare on Elm Street happened. So this like kind of reignited the genre because... Well, there's a big glut of slasher murder films and this was at least, you know, yeah, a success story in that, in that yes. subject. Oh yeah, because there yeah. were, there were so many like Jason and Michael copycats going on around at this point that like this kind of showed up and was like, Hey, let's, let's put a little bit of a, a spice or a twist on this. So a little imagination in here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go over the summary here and then we'll dive into talking all about Freddy's revenge. So here we go. Ken Walsh is a real estate wonderkind. What a deal. A two story house with a basement at a bargain basement price. Sure. It has sat on the market for five years untouched. And yeah, that kid was murdered across the street. And the family that lived here lost their minds because of it. But the murder wasn't even in this house. That's not even a murder house. But you get a murder house price. Sure, the temperature's kind of finicky. That bird exploded. Uh, toasters catch on fire, not even plugged in. That furnace in the basement, there's weird noises in the dead of the night. But the savings, with the savings, he and his wife Cheryl can raise a son, Jesse, and daughter Angela to the 
to be the best Springwooders in town. <laughs> I called it Springwooders because it's Springwood Elementary. But yeah, no, I understand. I just like that you put Springwood as two th- things. It's Springwood is a... The Springwoodsman, yeah. yeah it's Springwood, <laughs> but, that's one word. Anyways, Oh, yes. sorry. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> but, um... But, I, yeah, yeah, this house is also on... Yeah, <laughs> Ken... Uh, this this house is on Elm Street though. This is <laughs> this is Nancy this is Nancy's house from the previous Nightmare on Elm Street film. Yeah. Uh it's five years later, even though it's actually less than a year later from Nightmare on Elm Street came out. I actually read about this. The reason why there's that time jump thing. Wes Craven wrote the screenplay for Nightmare on Elm Street in like 1980, 1981. Yeah. And, and he played and he based it. it in there. Yeah. And even though the movie didn't come out to 84, it was like Period piece. It's like in his mind, it's set in 1981. Yeah, so, so this is like out... five years later, we're going to make a contemporary film five years later, even though it's one year later. In right. So it's set in 1986, I guess, but it's basically concurrent with when it came out yeah. in theaters. Yeah. So it's kind of works out nicely. Uh, Anyways, yeah. this movie stars Jesse. I know. <laughs> this is Jesse's story. Yeah. Uh, the son of the household. Yeah. Uh, played by Mark Patton. Yes. Um, and okay. Really yeah. quick. Really quick. Is this your first yeah. time seeing this movie? No, but I feel like I really was like spaced out or something the first time I watched it. Like okay. I revisited my IMDb and gave it kind of like a yeah, you know, it's okay. okay. I just remember the school bus scene really. Yes. Like when that I opening scene is pretty great. Yeah, uh, I agree. Actually, I wrote really strong intro. <laughs> um, kind of. I I almost want to compare it to the hidden like pacing wise of just like something mundane is happening over like the credits but it's kind of weird yes and then it goes into it right away like when it's time for movie time and it has fast crazy vehicles and vehicle stunts and everything right away in a similar manner yeah uh but that if that's helpful for anyone who listened to that and watched that but this is a bigger success movie so yeah yes yeah. Well, and so for me, the big thing that I like about this movie, and you keep, I keep hearing about this and all the trivia and everybody talking about it behind the scenes, is like how tight budgeted they were. Mm. This movie and like looks, rush production schedule. Yeah, like, but the Freddy ideas they have in this movie are really well done. Like, really well done. There's some like stuff. Okay, so my first time seeing this, I saw all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies when I was in like grade three or four at a sleepover. Like, over a few weekends, we watched them all. Yeah. I didn't like care about it like it was not one of my favorites as a kid but i really liked a bunch of ideas in it. like i liked the opening i always remember the bus hanging on those two pillars over top of the big yeah like thing yeah. it's like a cool shot that kind of stuck out of my head and when i was eight or nine and then like a few extra things like i found a weird like freddie terrorizing kids at a pool party couldn't figure out why i thought it was weird anyways years go by I kind of jumped on the train of being like, it's the one I'm not going to rewatch. I owned all of them. I wasn't going to rewatch that one, though. I'd watch all the other ones. Yeah. And then this October, my buddy and I, we wanted to watch the Nightmare on Elm Street films because he's never seen them. And I'd seen mm-hmm. them. So I sat down. We watched all of them. And we sat there watching Nightmare on Elm Street 2. And it's my first time watching since I was like a little, little kid. Yeah. And we're yeah. just like, what is happening? This, like, is, this is a real movie. And it's like my kind of thought. Yeah. It's like, there's like, this is so like, we're both big horror fans, a big slasher horror fans. And it's like, there's like a lot of on slasher tropes in this movie. Like there's a dance sequence where this boy scream queen is being sexualized. And 
There's a male scream queen where he screams in a higher-pitched voice. There's violence that is specifically perpetrated against men in the movie and not against women. And you're yeah. like, this movie is really weird. So then after the movie was done, my friend and I went on the internet, like sitting there the whole time being like, what is up with this movie? Went on the internet. And that's when we found out like this resurgence of this film, but specifically within the LBGTQ community. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and catching on to these, anybody, the writer was like, oh, it's subtext. There's no way this is subtext. Like it's so there. Uh huh. Like, yeah, I'm trying to think of like subtext in the context of like the fly or something, where it's like it could be about AIDS and it's yeah. Sort of oh in yeah, there. that's subtext. But you're like... thinking about the monster on the screen and everything. It's really like a part of it. But no, this is like the cool, like the most interesting element of this movie. Oh yes, is that element of it? Oh so, no, for yeah, sure. The, was... the dance sequence when he's cleaning up his room and the whole dance sequence. I was like, what is this? He literally has this weird pop thing that he's. Yeah thrusting around as if it's his penis and masturbating type of imagery and then an ejaculates as the girl comes in and you're like what what is this movie we're watching like <laughs> it's like oh, awkward teens kind of thing but yeah like i guess it's a risky business riff sort yeah, of kind of a risky business riff but it still has like overtly homoerotic themes in it like yeah overtly and like that's spoken to many like uh like people growing up that weren't um like didn't didn't well, it's realize... in this big mainstream horror sequel, and you're seeing like queer themes in it. And oh it's yeah, like, and so oh, all these young people to respond to yeah. all these young people that um that grew up not like understanding their own identity, not coming out yet. They see this thing happen in front of them, and they're like, "Here's a genre that they might like, but they feel isolated from because oftentimes the '80s genre gay people were like killed really early, and oh, or weren't yeah. in it at all. And it was very mm-hmm. like like macho because they they get female nudity." violence against women macho guys that only like girls and they make jokes oh, yeah. about there's like a pool party in this movie and yeah. it is the most like restrained lewd pool party like yes. there's no nudity it's no. just kind of like no, no, no. no these teens are having fun and drinking only, and stuff but we're the being kind of nudity in this whole movie is male nudity male male butts yeah there's yeah. two at <laughs> lots of bulge like he gets out of bed the first thing in the movie like he gets out of bed after his nightmare oh, of the sweaty bus, and upset and he's wearing the tidy whities and his like that's his junk right there. Like that's yeah. a very yep. tight, tidy whities. Um, no, and even at the pool party. Okay, I I just watched it again. So I watched it in October, and then I watched it again yesterday to, for this thing. And like, look at how many women are killed in this movie versus how many men. That whole pool party. There's an even mix of men and women. Yeah. Only men are killed at the pool party. I I think you're right. Yeah. Like I was trying to remember any female victims in the whole movie like, uh the very end there... the very end in the dream sequence the the pop the oh sure scare. i didn't i don't even know what to make of that dream sequence we'll get there <laughs> yeah yeah but i, I but... know there's like but like when you consider how many male to like even the male like his best friend's death scene which was like i actually thought was a great death scene is so tragic Grady? because yeah the parents are right there on the other side of the door oh it's screwed up yeah yeah Anyways. okay let's just get into it so Traditionally, oh. for many, many decades, people have hated this movie. Yeah, it, it kind of became the like Black Swan or Black Sheep or whatever of the series. And yes. like, I'm trying to remember a lot of my like perception of the series was wrong, not very well, like based on Leonard Malton reviews or whatever. And I don't think he cared about this one really at all. And then three is the one where it's like, this is the one right here. The one after this one is the yeah, one. Which is crazy. The Dream Warriors. And it's like, well, that's where it gets like, camp crazy well that's where that's where like freddie starts starts dropping one-liners like not 
scary things he says like you have the body and i have the brain and then he the rips brain his head off shows his brain and that's like okay that's some wordplay that's kind of but he's like making punny yeah. he's setting up his deaths so we can have a pun like one off at the end type of right thing, like there'd gag. be like that line six times in dream warriors yeah. you know oh it'd like be like, like welcome to prime time bitch and he slams her head into a tv type of thing right like, exactly like, that's the that's the main one i remember too but like you know all the chicanery he's getting up to it's very freddy focused yes like i guess the feedback was like hey there's not enough freddy in two he's in it for like 13 minutes well and not just so, that they break freddy's rules like because yeah. the whole entire thing is like freddy is a a dream person who like haunts you in your dream he's like a dream ghoul or whatever it's called and so this movie is all about a possession which yeah, really yeah. works within this like homo erotic homophobic concept of like not feeling at home in your own skin feeling like you're a uh, a stranger in your own like body split personality or well, a stranger in your own body was the big thing that i've seen yeah, on, yeah. And pointing at people turning towards him because um anyways and so freddie becomes that so then freddie's able to actually escape into the real world as a physical being and kill people himself Do- in the doesn't waking that world. happen later in the series anyway no in the like later in the series child n- or- in, later in the series in the, the versus movie they grab onto him they can always grab onto him pull him to the real world and then kill him but there's oh, yeah. this is a possession movie. He comes into it through Jesse's body. Right, right. Like it's it's weird though to like say it's breaking rules when there's only been one movie. Well like you know It's Wes Craven having to stick up his butt about this. Yeah, like and England to some extent, although he was gracious in the documentary about this movie that we'll also get into some. Yeah. Uh, but at, at, there's quotes around though of like it being his least favorite, perhaps not enough screen time, perhaps how it plays with some of the fundamentals or something. Well, and there was but, like behind the scene tension. Like he was not tired on immediately. He wanted right, more money. Paycheck issues. Yeah. And he, they, they tried to film it with a, like a stand in lookalike type of thing. Cause right. they're like, we'll so keep him in the shadows. Beginnings. Yeah. Yeah. So he could easily yeah. be like, this is not, and he doesn't have a time to shine. And to be fair, of course, Robert England's going to maybe like the subsequent series because nightmare on Elm street three is the one that makes Freddie the star. Right, he gets and, to be have his rap albums and whatever happened. Yeah, <laughs> like know? he gets to really lean into this like character of Freddy that he later on more embodes than the first movie. Yeah, like, the first movie is kind of going for more straightforward horror, where the third movie is more of an action film, and then the fourth movie even more so as an action film. Yeah, they start going down this other trail yeah. of yeah, but oh man, I'm trying to I'm trying to think about where to go with uh, sorry, like Freddy's presence in this and so like I, I think he's effective in this like it's oh, like yes. he's scary again because mm-hmm. he's like he's he's rarely seen but when he is it's important and there's the stuff about just like losing control of your own like you're so mad at that coach because he gave you detention and like maybe i like you know that bad feeling i might murder him without yes. my my consent kind of thing like yeah like freddie i think freddie is on. like taking advantage of jesse's like um burgeoning sense of being becoming a man whatever it is like yeah, yeah he's taking advantage of that to then become violent because the people he's killing are people that are close to him whether or not it's positive like, early in the movie it's negative closeness and then yeah. later on as the movie goes on it starts becoming threatening his like good friend and then his girlfriend his burgeoning his girlfriend. sister like it's starting to get too close to home yeah, yeah. so yeah like i actually thought that like freddie again i totally agree with you some interesting things happen 
Um, they didn't. They hired a new makeup specialist for this film. Yeah. And so Freddy doesn't look quite right. Like his scarring doesn't look like Is he did in the previous movies was. and subsequent yeah. films. He has this weird like sweaty glow to him. But something I really thought that was really good that Jack Shoulder did is that they kept Freddy's face heavily shadowed for most of the, the early parts of the film. Yeah. Like he, they and keep then later very... I just remember his eyes really standing out. Yes. Like some good like acting from England really. Like some odd moments with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, like having to respond to – like it's at the, at, at the pool party again. There's this weird scene where like a kid just kind of steps up to try to like talk him down. Yeah. And I was just like, this is so weird. Like, what an interesting Choice little moment. And Anglin's kind of like put it back a little bit. Like, like Freddie's like, okay, this isn't how this goes usually. Yes. Like, there's a weird little moment. And then he just does some murdering and and bursts through a fence on fire, and it's yeah. kind of awesome. It's like but almost it, like it's almost like Robert England real life anxiety about this character in this movie came through on screen and he's like, it's like wait this is what? not how people this is caring about me and trying yeah. to like help me this is i don't understand any of this yeah. yeah 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 like so there's some good like freddy depth in a way too here it was weird yeah uh but but i okay. thought like freddy was like i thought he was scarier there's like a scene um i thought was really good so after jesse kills his friend through like freddy possessing him yeah. So Freddy kills his friend, and then all of a sudden we cut in his Jesse with the glove on, and we see Freddy laughing in a mirror as Jesse looks on, like it's his reflection is is Freddy, and Freddy's mm-hmm. laughing type of thing. And I thought that was like a perfectly like he is menacing up, but also creating real tension in the story. Because here I am being like, on the other side of that door is this kid's parents, and I hear the cops' parents, and I'm like, how is Jesse going to get out of this? Like how does he yeah. leave? Like how does he get away? Like, like Freddy's he has actually... been so perfectly framed for murder. Yes. Like, and Freddy is so perfectly, like, in, like, creating terror in this kid's life. And I was like, oh, like, this is, this is good horror movie stuff. I wonder if there's a part, like, this movie was a success, so people need to remember that. But I wonder if we, like, took a step back and said, hey, like, this movie, um, on its, like, own, without maybe connected to this Freddy Krueger lore, this movie is a good horror film. It has some good stuff in it. Oh, yeah. Like, the only movie at this juncture to compare it to was the first one. And I feel it's like smartly iterating on ideas and like changing things a little. Cause oh, like yeah. you've really explored like the dream stuff and like we're hooking people up to brain scans mm-hmm. and looking at what's happening in the mechanics of the dreams and everything like this movie's like, okay, that's established. You know, he's going to drink a Coke. He's going to have some pills. He's going to try to stay awake to prevent it from happening to him. Yeah. But we don't need a lot of that. Cause we've already seen that. So let's do something different with it. And I actually think that's like a great idea for a sequel. Oh, I totally (laughs) agree. Because like what we see in the subsequent sequels is like this deepening of mythology around the dream stuff. Yeah, and like dream warriors and then eventually dream master. Because the third movie is all about dream warriors and how they're stronger together. So I just watched through all of these, so I can tell you all these things. But like, oh yeah, like I, Warriors, I watched four a while ago, and yeah, yeah. But, Dream Warriors is all yeah. about them working together. Then the Dream Master, there's something that gets revealed in the fourth movie, is like someone who can like actually like command all dreams. But then the fifth movie, that girl gets pregnant and she has a dream child that Freddy's <sighs> gonna be possess and make yeah. evil. And then Freddy's dead is just like, like complete detour from everything else, and it's so weird. Yeah. But, and I'll then say you get like the meta stuff, like Kevin Williamson, and well, yeah, yeah, and then and then you get uh, yeah, New Nightmare, which is is still a good one. But mm-hmm. uh, just watching through them all, like I'm gonna say something controversial. Like people do point towards 
uh, Dream Warriors. Dream Warriors is boring. It's not good. It's not scary. Uh, it's yeah, poorly acted. It, it, mm-hmm. It got hyped for me. Like, it was, you know, this old Malton review or whatever. Like, it's just like, oh, this is, like, a really fun one. And then watching it, yeah, it's just kind of the corniest. It's, like, one of the corniest ones. Yes. <laughs> so, I, was, I wasn't I was super stoked about but it. But, like, not without it being fun corny because I think Dream Master, number four, is really corny. But I'm, yeah. having, I'm having a lot of fun because it's, like, hair metal version. Like, it's, like, action movie version. Like, there's this whole suit-up sequence where she puts on these various pieces of clothes which represent her dream armor. And she okay. suits up to go and takes on Freddy. And, like, I'm, like, having a blast because... Does that one have a time loop thing, too? Like, where they're going to try to get Freddy, but they keep finding themselves in this recurring dream loop? I think Where so. they can't break through for a bit before they realize it. It's kind of cool. Like, there's some neat things in it i remember that rennie harlan directed that one too which is just a special notice yeah yeah frank darabont wrote the third one which is also crazy i know like and it's actually directed by our blob guy right yes yeah yeah so i mean it's just a tone thing like and if we're gonna get really into a corny movie yeah steven what what movie do we do with stephen hoskins hopkins uh predator 2 predator 2 he he was dream child there you go you know, I think we said that. I think we were like, we're going to keep it in the, like, series family No, no, if somehow, like, we have talked about in our, through our podcast, all of these directors' movies without ever talking about their Nightmare on Elm Street. This is the first time we've really talked about their Nightmare on Elm Street con- contributions, but we've covered it all. Because we're even covering Wes Craven later in this very batch. Uh, yeah, no, we're orbiting a lot of the same planets here, but yeah. it's 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 fun. Um, but, okay. So there's a sequence. There's a sequence that I thought was actually really... Like, again, like, I'm thinking about the practical effects, and I'm like, Freddy coming out of the chest of Jesse had two mm-hmm. parts of this practical effect where he had to, like, Jesse has to wear this thing where, like, Freddy's face gets pushed up against his chest, and then Freddy has to, like, come through this, like... Cut himself out. Yeah, and, and like, Jesse's body has to fall apart type of thing, and they had to yeah. do this cut, and I'm like, man, this is, like, good-looking practical special effects like good ideas good conceived there's even like a thing where like i know people wouldn't like this because it changes things so weird like so the kid is wearing jesse's wearing freddy's glove but freddy is not wearing his glove he just has knives that come out of his actual fingertips like the fu man yeah. thing from the earlier like in the movie wolverine style moment yeah. happens but like gnarly r-rated stuff yes. yeah like body horror arm bursting open yeah. craziness yeah so it's yeah. like uh, it's got some good conceptual stuff, especially when you hear Jack Shoulder say um, in the documentary, say like, "Oh, I'd, I I looked at the script and I have no idea how I'm going to do these things." And I'm like, "Oh wow, like you didn't, and you figured you it out. You figured out some pretty cool tricks, yeah. yeah like so. got some savvy there for sure, yeah." Uh, I kind of I kind of want to just jump in, like it was part of my summary, and I want to talk about him a bit. I want to talk about the dad character because, <laughs> sure. like, I found it like initially i when he's at the table just kind of being dismissive of whatever like reading his newspaper i was like oh he's like the stranger things dad like he's just there yes like he's not involved in his kids lives he's just kind of boring 80s dad but then over the course of the movie he kind of just gets more and more like for the most part for like a section of the movie he's getting more and more involved and kind of like restrictive for no reason and like suppressing his son and just kind of like no, you can't. You gotta go. You gotta go unpack your room. You can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. Like he's just kind of being an obstacle. Yeah. And then he's in like super denial about anything weird going on. Like he's like the one character that's just not 
okay, but in all fairness, like if you know? your if your teenage son came to you and said to you, "Hey, a firebolt came from out of this window and hit this uh, hit the microwave hit the toaster. That's why a fire got started." Yeah. Like that's not, but the main one was like the birds and him yeah, turning yeah, on his birds. own son and be like, "You did this. You're trying to trick me. You used firecrackers and killed that bird." And it's like, "What? That's, that's horrible. True. I wouldn't to do fair, that." <laughs> you know, I, I I'm terrified of birds, so that scene legit scared me. Like a little tiny bird like yeah. that in my house is my one of my biggest nightmares. Oh, dude, yeah. Like, like I heard feedback that's like that scene got laughs, and it's like, dude, it's like the birds. Yeah. Like that was like Alfred Hitchcock birds business going yeah. on. Like it was. I weird. mean, the laughs was the bird exploding. That's what the laughs. That were was probably. nuts. <laughs> yeah, but that's a great way to end that bit with like, didn't think that would happen. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But I mean, like, I was I, what are some clever ideas? Like, I really like that the house was always constantly hot, and like. Like that just adds that sweaty effect of like that weird sweaty because he's always running around with his shirt oh, wide when all open. Of his stuff had like melted. I was so weirded out. Like yeah. I was like, what was that? Was that a lamp? Like it just looks gnarly. Like he yeah he wakes up and records are melting and his clock yeah. is like a blob. And, oh, but I want to yeah. focus on the fact that like it it causes a thing where like the male protagonist has to run around with his shirt open all the time. Like just more focus yeah. on like male physique, male nudity, body. like sweating. Yeah all the time and it's just like and like there's legit like i can't so there's an interview where jack shoulders like he never thought this place this, this any any gay subtext and i'm like they go to an snm bar where they find the coach involved and then the coach is killed by sadomasochism ideas done to him like he yeah he's strapped up to a wall and like slapped with towels and until cut. he dies yeah. and stuff like yeah. that and you're like how did you not see the homoerotic? I, I, I sort of love it because just like, oh, dude, I was just thinking like, how do I logistically do this? Like with shooting and like, yeah. I, you know, I was just being doing my first big gig. I was excited yeah. about that. Like, he's not really, you yeah. know, it's like that. This is the shot list for today or something. Like it just gets lost. Yes. You know, yeah, I buy like, it. Like it's he just... has no sense of like over big purpose. But here's the thing. Like nobody did. Like I didn't figure it out. when I guess when I was a kid, I didn't figure it out. I just thought it was like weird. A weird movie. Like, oh, this and, is a bit offbeat. Yeah. yeah. And then, like, people loved it. Like, this movie did really well at the box office. I think people need to realize this movie did well at the box office. Like, this saved, it sa- like you it said. saved the studio. Yeah. Yeah. It saved the studio. Like, they and were, they were going down. Yeah. This movie came out 51 weeks after the original. Uh, yeah. They were talking about their shooting schedule of, like, we were still shooting this, like, giant sequence in July, and this movie had to come out, like, four months later. Yes. And it's just like that, <laughs> you know, what's that post-production? Like, what is that? Oh, it but was like they, they did it. Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street came out November 9th, 1984. This movie yeah. came out November 1st, 1985. So 51 yeah. weeks later. Yeah. Not rush, even a year. Rush, but, you know, they, they actually put together some solid stuff. If anything, it's a little, it's a little short. It's like 85 minutes. Mm-hmm. I feel like there was a moment I wanted that didn't happen that I'll get into. Well, we'll but, just get into it then. Well, it's with the dad. Like, I kind of wish there was a conclusion with him. Because, oh, okay. like, he, like, you know, there's the coach bullying and everything. And, like, that gets resolved terribly, I guess. But, like, there's little things that, like, are opp- oppressing Jesse that are dealt with. Mm-hmm. But the dad is kind of this ever-present, like, uh, you know, in denial, restricting part of his life. And nothing really happens with him. Yep. Like, there's no concluding moment with the dad like i guess there's them having family breakfast and everything but it's a little surreal and like is this even happening i don't even that that doesn't actually happen like so the last part of the movie after 
after the big boiler room fight scene is him going off to school to the bus and it's his mom saying goodbye. It's mom. Yeah. Like he just doesn't get a final moment. And I thought it would have been nice to have some acknowledgement of that I don't know, part like, of his life. Horror you know? movies don't really take parents' failures into account. Like the parent fails because the kid dies. That's what really the consequence is. So like right. the consequence for Jesse's dad is Jesse got hurt and almost died. Right? I guess. Yeah. Like I just felt like it was uh it was an an element of the movie that I felt like wasn't going to be anything at all, and then yeah. it started to develop into something, and I was interested, and then it didn't quite like wrap it up in did, any way. Did we see um, this movie like Nightmare on Elm Street one in theaters like a couple years we ago? We did. It was it was part of a special Halloween thing. Was yeah. the last time I saw it. Yeah, the Kenya Meadows, right? So yeah, I remember watching the movie and being like, "Man, uh, Nancy's dad, Fred Saxon, is that his name? Yeah, he was the one that was just like." What is going on with this guy? Like he, like just every corner, he has all this proof, like all these things he's done. Like he even has one of the teenagers die in his hospital cell <laughs> and he's still not believing his daughter. Like those just are the denial, fathers. denial, denial. Those yeah. are the fathers that I'm like, oh my goodness, this doesn't make sense. This guy's father had one actual weird thing happen and it well, birds. Yeah. Two, I guess, if you count the toaster and the bird. But again, he never but, saw yeah. the toaster. It just, again, if I walked into my teenage son and there's a f- toaster's on fire, I'm going to think the teenage son did this. I'm not going to think of lightning like, bolt. You put a fork in here or something. What are you yeah, doing? A lightning yeah. ball, ball came into my house and blew it up specifically because of a dream demon. But I, he's the one that's like, it wasn't even plugged in. Damnedest thing. And it's yeah. like, you saw a bird explode yesterday. <laughs> you know, know, like there was a bit of a... What? I know, but like that's but, you can't have a horror movie. You can't have a Nightmare on Elm Street movie specifically without doubtful parents. Like they're key yeah. part and parcel to the whole narrative of Nightmare on Elm Street. Like that's just them leaning into the like that staple right. of this genre of this film right. series. I I thought I th- I just thought it was a, th- a wrinkle that they were starting to get into some cool stuff with, and then they didn't. Again, the I character think you think that this... they did was Lisa. Yes. I was actually really impressed with a lot of stuff with her. If we want to really? pivot to that, interesting. Yeah. Okay, I, I want to hear mean, this because I don't have positive things to say about Lisa. I mean, there's a you could say she's kind of shoehorned in or she's there to be like heteronormative or something. Like there's a girl for him to kiss and, sure. and that. Yep. But honestly, it was really just that she is like on board with what he's saying. She's helping him investigate this stuff. Mm-hmm. She like actually believes him and is like, no, I, I looked into where Fred Krueger worked and like we're driving out there right now to see if you can feel anything like she's in yeah. with him on this and i was just like really happy that he has a person to like tackle this crazy thing with yeah so he's it not doing cool this completely dynamic, alone you know? right yeah i guess yeah. nancy's boyfriend like johnny depp doesn't quite believe her he just kind of like thinks you just need a good night's sleep like go home and take a sleep type of thing it's like, like he's... you're not listening if i sleep i will die like there's that kind of resistance whereas past a point she's just kind of bought in too and i was really i yeah. thought that was cool and that's so. fine. I guess I'm more commenting. I thought Kim Myers did a terrible job as an actor. Like as a performer? Yeah. yeah. Like I, It was mostly like the character writing, I guess, that I was responding to. Like I don't even know if it's writing. Flat. I think it's just convenience. Like it'd just be boring to have Mark uh, do this by himself or Jesse have to do this by himself. Well, he needs somebody to talk to. Yeah. But I felt like, yeah, instead of just having the, you know – no, I don't know. That's probably not true stuff. To yes. have a character like be like, look them in the eye and be like, like when he's scared and he's like really, really rattled, he's sure. talking to her and it's like she responds appropriately. Like, yeah. It's not a denial thing. No, that's I fair. felt I felt it was a cool way to go with it. No, you're definitely right. Like it is un, it is uncommon 
to not have this immediate like sense of like doubt before they something happens to them to make them believe in the narrative. Like I'm thinking specifically of the faculty, like this like hodgepodge group of five random teenagers decide to take on this alien invasion, but all of them like hear about it first and they all do- they all doubt it until it actually happens. Yeah, they, they like see scrunch their eyebrows and go like, no, that can't be happening. Yeah. And then something scary happens to them. Yes. And then it's like, okay, now my selfishness can be set aside. Like she isn't selfish yes. about yeah. it. She she sees like a distraught person and is like with that. Yeah. And I was I was really happy to see that. So maybe there's a commentary a maybe there is beat, commentary you know? with on men and women like for a male character takes like, oh, you're being crazy. Like you're being hysterical, which is often male commentary for women when they're not, yeah. when the men don't understand them, uh, mm-hmm. they use this. And so maybe the commentary is like, no, women are just immediately more sympathetic and like believing. And that's or a even, good thing. Even like it starts off early. Like even like they were, he was supposed to go on a date with her and then it's like, go unpack your room. And then the silly kind of dancing fun yeah. happens. But then she was like so game to see him that she was like, oh, I came to help unpack. Yeah. You know, like I, I just wanted to hang out with you. Like yeah. there was just something really sweet about it. And I don't know. it Like it, in a weird way, it was just like if I was being haunted by some evil monster, I would want my wife helping me, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And it's like they're just like date two driving to a scary factory yes and it's like that's so fun like there's something adventure about that that i was really responding to no so. and that's fair that that is uncommon to have someone just immediately be with you that being said yeah. she still does ho- hold her party she what it's her party that that freddie goes crazy at and starts killing everybody oh yeah her parents are their own fun gag of just like all right, we're we've done our grilling for the night. We're just gonna go have sex now and not really worry about it. And like they click off the light, and then the party explodes. Yes. And they're just like, "We are terrible chaperones, but whatever." I got my whiskey. Like they just kind of stop being responsible. Yeah, it was it was a funny bit. Yeah. Um. So okay. Uh, going to the factory. I really yeah. like a lot of things about this movie. I wish they made the pool party a bit more of a climax and then left things there. But for some reason, the Nightmare on Elm Street movies feel like the boiler room or, or industrial zones are like the scariest places in the entire world. And I completely oh, yeah. disagree with them. They are so boring and ugly and ugh. They try to surreal it up a little here. Like there's one kind of cool zoomed out shot of uh, Lisa walking towards the camera, I guess, and it kind of pulls back and you see just like this weird factory that wouldn't be like, it's yeah. like a dream version of it. Yeah. Uh, and you know, there's the spinning, like there's the pipes and the spinning knobs and whatever, like there's that stuff. And this, yeah, that stuff duck. isn't really, but like, they're obsessed with oh, it. Like when you yeah. watch six of these movies in a row, you're just like, at some point you're just like, this is boring. Like it's not scary in the slightest. It's just, they're trying to be atmospheric, but it's just like ends up being like lazy and, and really, Right, like dull. the school the school bus dream is more like relatable. It's like, oh, oh I and, you know, get on the bus to go to school every day and now it's going wrong. And visually like stunning. Like there's a lot of shots within there that sticks in my mind. Nothing oh, it's sticks like the in my main mind. thing that burnt into my memory from this movie. Oh, yeah. and even like the pool party, Freddie running around killing kids at a pool party, that sticks in my mind. Like like you know what doesn't stick in my mind? Another scene with Freddie walking around like the rasters in a Yeah, generic factory. Like like fear.com has like the train yard. Yeah. And it's just like, this is just kind of a boring, cheap place to shoot, I think. Yeah. You know, like, it's not really. But I mean, it's, like, it's connected a to his mythology, spot. Because he was yeah. the janitor or something, or I don't know. Anyways, he used to well, keep like, his kids in the boiler room. So that's like, yeah, that's why if they, they had it. it like, he's at the school, like, he was the school janitor or something. Yeah. And 
Like, he's this serial killer that had this lair. But if he was like, no, it was in the school basement, then, like, the school becomes a scary place. Yeah. You know? Like, that would be more compelling. So, I, but, I really do not like the factory sequence in this movie. Like, I actually think it's pretty weak. There is It's one actually thing... weird, too, because you lose Mark Patton for, like, a big chunk of the movie. Yes. Because he just yeah. turns into Freddy, Freddy full tilt. And, then and she... it sort of pivots to Lisa being, like, the actual last girl, like, happens. But it's more... And it's just like... Yeah, it's, you're right. Like, it does kind of fall more into, like, the tropes of classic horror films because it's it's then now a male perpetrating violence against a female but it is still cleverly done because she needs to be there to pull freddie out of mark out of jesse like right? the personalities like to like coax them apart again or whatever yeah, yeah. like, to, like the, the call on 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 jesse's humanity to remember who she is blah 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 like similar stuff we see in all the movies no yeah. what i'm saying is like one thing i really like about that um sequence is the evil rat that then quickly gets eaten by an evil cat and then yeah. is completely forgotten about conveniently. And I'm just like, those shots were some of the coolest looking things and they didn't even like, that's it. It was just, ah, ah, and then done. And you're like, what just happened? Like, it oh, was. Yeah. I cut crazy rat, rat monster. Insert teeth shot. Like, yeah, it was just like, no. Whoa. And then, and then it immediately gets eaten by a cat who then has again, a monster crazy teeth. cat monster with a teeth shot type of thing. Like, and it's, yeah. And there's those weird dogs with, like, baby faces that are just yes. kind of creepy. Yeah. And then they just kind of awkwardly walk past them and be like, all right, I don't want to deal with any of that. Like, yeah. there, there's some flavor there. Yeah. Yeah. With the dream stuff. Like, on like dream stuff, I just want to stop for a second. And, like, I like their transitions into dream stuff. Like, this is a big thing I, I find. Movies get weird. Like, they get too surreal too quick with dream, like, dipping into dream stuff. Like, early... When it's just Jesse kind of starting to, oh, it's a sweaty night. And like, I think I heard something outside. Mm-hmm. I liked how that sequence played out because it's just kind of this normalcy of I heard something out in the yard. I'm going to go check it out. And then he like sees Freddie like putting a thing in the fire. Yes. And then he goes back inside. But now suddenly that fire is inside the house. And then he goes to the basement. Like there's a certain kind of like blending of realities that is a little more delicate. Yes. And I was just like, oh, that's some good stuff. Like. Or the even, you know, the school bus, which we already mentioned, where it just goes from normal credits boring to like, uh oh, the bus is going too fast. Like yeah. it kind of like brings you into it gradually like you're falling asleep. Yeah. And then they do the whole whale sounds thing, which I was like slowly realizing that's what that was. Like it was like white noise, kind of pleasanty sound, dreamy sounds in the background. Yeah. And yeah, they're just they're doing some pretty cool technique stuff with that. Whereas I find, yeah, some of the subsequent ones are just like, we have a really crazy gag we want to show you, and you're a pizza or something. And you're like, what? Or it's like, there's a character <laughs> you know? who's obsessed with superheroes, so in his dream he becomes superheroes, and he has to take on Super Freddy. Or yeah, there's a kid who's like obsessed with video games, and then Freddy's going to kill him playing vi- like him as a character as a video game. Like these really one-note dreams that are just like, that's a gag, that's not a real, like... That's not how dreams work. Experience, yeah. yeah. So I thought this movie had, a, like, a couple elements of dream logic pretty good, like, pretty well done, yeah. so. I mean, yeah. I appreciate the the opening scene a lot because of Mark's hair. Do you remember Mark's hair in that dress? He looks bus? so crazy. He looks like a different person. I like, know. he looks so, like, distraught and, like. His hair's <laughs> plastered down with some kind of, like, gel goop. It's, like, flat, flat on top. And he, like, yeah. kind of make him look more emo than he normally does and like awkward first day of school first day in town and then it just happens and then he wakes up in a screaming fit is mark like okay when the movie starts 
He shows up at school. He seems like he's he's been there for a little bit of time. Like he's not brand new. That's on his first day back. Yeah, like I, I'm. I liked how they established like they just moved in with like U-Haul boxes are still around and stuff. But, but like, I feel it's like week two or three. Maybe yeah, because he's month. already made friends with people. Like obviously Kim Myers has picked up on like, oh, I like this guy and he's cute, so I'm gonna befriend him. Yeah, and Grady is already kind of joking. Oh, and with here's them. the thing. Okay, something I really love about this movie. Grady in any other horror film is just like jock bully. Like mean guy. Yeah. yeah. Who's just like and like there's even a scene And they where, have a fight or whatever, no, but that's they what I mean. like get there's even a scene it. where Mark yeah. like they're doing push ups and Mark was like, Grady, like do you do you have something like do you have a problem with me or something like that? He calls him out on it. And in any other horror movie, like uh, the guy would have been like, Yeah, you're a t- a twerp and a twerp like I can't stand you, I'm gonna beat you up or something. Like he would have done something aggressive. This guy's like, like stay no. antagonistic. Yeah. This guy's like, no, I just want to be friends. Well, like they just kind of bond over this dumb detention thing. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, like I kind of felt that was pretty realistic too. Like, yeah. honestly, one of my best like grade school friends, we started like fighting like initially. Yeah. We just kind of got over it. And it's like, oh, wait, we have tons in common and we're going to collect all the Kenner Star Wars figures and be <laughs> friends forever. Like, it was fine. But initially, we were just, like, shooting mean looks at each other and being jerks because school or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like, I thought, like, most of the time you have these archetypes, like, these pretty, like, um, classic, like, he's the jock bully. So, therefore, yeah. he's – and he's dumb. But, like, this movie has no real archetypes. Like, all of the main characters are kind of, like, breaking the mold. <laughs> Like he, I mean, the the coach is such the coach. No, no, but I like even it. then, like, Nathan. Yeah. Like, okay, let's yeah. think about this. Let's break it down, okay? Jesse is a final guy, not a final girl, but he has yeah. like a lot of weird, like a lot of not weird, but like different homoerotic, homophobic kind of stuff happening around him that he doesn't quite understand what's happened himself. Then, you, yeah. like you said, Kim Myers' character is just like the the girl who likes him and is super supportive, like always supportive, never doubting him. That's uncommon yeah. in a horror film. Grady is a jock, not bully, just a really good friend who's, like, supportive of him and, like, wants to help him. Like, when he comes bursting into his room at night, Grady doesn't question him. He's just like, yeah, you sleep over. No, it's no problem. Type of thing. Yeah. And there's a beat where he says, like, you're here to sleep with me and, like, no one blinks about it. It's just kind of like... When he... Dude, dude. When when Mark tackles him on the jumps on the bed and they're face to face immediately, it's like, come on, guys. Like, this is... (laughs) This is it. Subtext. Right? Yeah, subtext. <laughs> Anyways, and then you go to yeah. the coach and you're like, yeah, sure. You have this like coach who is like a mean guy who's like going to pick on the kids because they're like wimp- wimpy or something like that. But then they add this layer that you don't see, which is like he's at an S&M bar and he's clearly into like the LGBTQ plus community in some way. In that, some that, sort. that whole bar sequence is kind of perfect because like it's another dream that gets it kind of right of just like struggling with your sexuality and like puberty and teen. But it's not it's not a dream. He's actually there. Uh, yeah. I, I, what? I, what? No, that's an I, actual place. He's actually there. The, the coach is actually there. Takes him back to the actual school. Oh, yeah. I guess the blending of reality. I just and then Freddie kills him weird... in the real world. That's right. The coach never falls asleep. That's why people get you're mad right, about the movies because right. Freddy kills people in the real world without falling asleep. I guess I'm that's something like, in the framework of how this usually works in a yeah. nightmare movie. Because like, oh, there's invisible like uh, like he's being pulled by these skipping ropes and everything. It's like, well, that can't be happening. No, it's a dream but, world. But it's like, no, Freddy is like because because Jesse's in the other room. Freddy's using Jesse's hate or something to to kill him type of thing. To yeah. Yeah. What a weird thing, yeah. Anyways, my, that's my point. It's like, there's always this twist. Like, the only only real archetype that's pretty classic in this movie is the dad character, the one that you clicked on. 
Clue he's Gallagher. Like, yeah. He's a pretty classic dad in a Nightmare on Elm Street film who's just like makes all You're the right. worst choices. And I thought I thought they were evolving that too, and then they kind of stepped short a little. That's yes. my only, yeah. yeah. But that guy actually, I guess, was in The Hidden. I was th- tr- looking for hidden castmates yeah. in in this, and that was the one that was common, so I thought mm-hmm. that was fun. But, yeah. I, I did, oh, little production design stuff. I mean, we don't like the factory. I did kind of, like the, we were saying, the pool party should have been the climax because it looks great. I love the towels that were, like, striped towels, green and red, just oh, kind of sure. in the yeah. in the changing rooms or whatever like little freddy accents yep. to things or like the color schemes would be kind of like oh okay there's some freddy like vibe to this even though he's not here yes like it's starting to like just be around the characters and and the setting an ominous kind of thing like there was little things like that that were working quite well and yeah the factory's boring but at least they like lit it well like they did that there too, sure. like green and red and, and yeah, yeah. What, it's whatnot. not yeah, you're right. Like it's not just like a, a dingy, rusty place that in subsequent Smoke sequels. Smoke and whatever. Like no joke. Yeah. Like the fifth movie opens with just this like most mundane like walking through the main characters walking through another boiler and it's like gray and rusty and smoky and you're like this is just uninteresting. It's the most lazy setup i've ever seen type of thing i yeah i just don't know if that's like a thing that's more relatable to basements from then or something I like guess it's so. basements not are scarier now period ever did you ever oh have sure yeah did you ever have an undeveloped basement at any of your houses you grew up living in oh yeah like concrete everything yeah yeah, yeah. they're like kind of creepy because they're sure, not really set up with there the, a bit like if you yeah. like most of them like it's just an exposed light bulb maybe sometimes there's a switch at the top of the stairs sometimes you have to go down the stairs and then pull on a string to get the switch which is the worst yeah, yeah. this stuff like it gets better you yeah. know like with like just i don't want to be down here i'm gonna run upstairs with yeah. my wax boat like, like i gotta my, get out of here we all the houses i grew up in we always had the light switch at the top of the stairs but my grandparents house their switch yeah. was at the very bottom of the stairs, and I had to go around the corner into this big room where they had like animal, dead animal heads on the walls, and just perfect. Like, I just <laughs> what a basement. To, I would go down and reach around the corner or close my eyes to go turn this light on because I just didn't want to be down there in the dark, like oh, at any time. So the house we moved into when I was like ten had a crawl space. But it wasn't like, you know, down on your knees crawl space. It was just kind of a lower ceiling by like a foot and a half. Yeah. But it was just this like deep zone of the basement for storage. Yes. And it's like, there's some great stuff down here. So you're just kind of sitting down there with a box of comics or something. But then you kind of just get like, if the lights all went off right now, I'd be in this horrible (laughs) box maze in the dark corner of this thing it would be the worst so you just kind of grab stuff and run out of there for no good reason <laughs> no it's other than if the power went out right now i would just die Here's <laughs> if the thing. i was here i didn't know this type of space existed until very recently my girlfriend's dad's house they mm-hmm. have this similar call space but what's weird is that there's a doorway which is smaller shorter than the room you go in like a normal doorway and then you go in and you have to really, you do almost have to, you have to really crouch down for the door. And when you're in there, it's a thing where it's like, it's a five foot high room. Yeah. And I'm six foot tall. So I'm like cranking my neck to the side screen, but it's like a normally set up room. Like they have shelves and like, it's like a work area where like you're like short people work area. Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> are you just on your knees? You put on some pads or something. And I'm just like, whatever. they're two large spaces. They use it as, they use it as storage, which is good, but they're huge spaces of this yeah. house that are being used. And I was like, guys, all they had to do is dig like two feet lower into the ground, 
And then this would have just been another rooms, like more rooms. This would be to cool the rooms. Why did you make it weird? <laughs> yeah. So. But no, yeah. If it just did more conventional basement stuff instead of some weird far distant factory, it would just be more effective. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Because it's more relatable yeah. to us. Like I don't. Kids don't. I don't go to factories or boiler rooms. I, like I work in a warehouse, but there's nothing. It's yeah. No, there's. I've never had a boiler experience that yeah. like stuck with me. So yeah. yeah. Uh, back to production a little bit, like just costume stuff. I was like really digging some of the shirts these 80s kids are wearing. Yes. <laughs> like five or six of them were just like, that's sharp. That's a good look. And speaking of it, I guess one of them is basically Richie's shirt. Like they basically alluded to this. Okay. Like, uh, what, yeah, like this colorful shirt. When, the snake scene, I think, when like the snake grabs him. Yeah. Uh, Jesse, yes. I think that shirt Richie basically has in It Chapter 2. Like, it's maybe a nod to the closeted character thing, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, Yeah, because that is that... What are the better inclusions to the It Chapter 2? It Chapter 2, man, people came down hard on that movie, but, like, I thought they fixed such a good time. Yeah. Yeah. I I thought they fixed so many things that were, like, broken in Stephen King's climax. Like, I know... The original TV movie has that like cartoony nonsense spider. Yeah. But guess what? The book also has this spider and these eggs that they have to kill. And it's like, this isn't good, guys. Like, this is not good climax. It's to- hard to make this play. Like, it worked when I was reading it to some extent. There's this, this like crazy obsidian black space that they're sliding in. And it's like, that sounds crazy. No, and, like, there's some good stuff you to know. it. But when they're taking, when they're fighting a giant spider and then what's his face? Uh, who's the actual, my favorite character, Ben. When Ben is stomping out these eggs, these future it eggs, I'm yeah. like, this is dumb. Like, there's no way this would ever work <laughs> on film. Like, I was yeah. sitting there reading it being like, oh, this is my least favorite part of the book. And like, I was not looking forward to chapter two because all the adult stuff, in the id book most of it i did not like i wanted more kid stuff yeah but actually they made the adult stuff actually like fun like i had a good time right they had a pretty good chemistry there like yeah i, I actually felt pretty good about that movie but it i knew it was sort of oh it's too bad it's like i don't know if you didn't see the 90s one but this is like incredibly better yes. like i will take this totally yeah. <laughs> and also know. i mean like it sucks that they couldn't have filmed some of those kid scenes when the kids were like that, when they were like the same age three years earlier, they refilmed. So they refilmed some new kid scenes, right? And the problem uh, with that, like they brought back like that the kid wasn't actors. part of the shooting of part one. No, or? no, 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 no. Those, all those okay, kids, they okay, had to okay. de-age them. Like they were like, they oh, used yeah. digital effects to de-age them. And it looks for some of them really awkward. And, and you, Richie specifically, because Wolf, uh, Finn Wolfhard, like, age like he hit that weird bump in growth spurt and yeah 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 and it's just all of a sudden like oh man oh okay oof all right you're all awkward not the same time frame and it's like you can tell like all of a sudden they all grew a foot and they matured on their faces and yeah but like you it's too bad because that is that does that does kind of take away from the movie a bit but that's okay it's still yeah like it it still like best they could do i guess yeah, and, yeah. but there, there's some sequences i just genuinely really like so yeah, for sure yeah, yeah and i appreciate i'm a ben fan like when i read that book and i watch and i like i love ben hanscom so much like he's my favorite character and i was yeah. so nervous that when they announced like james mcavoy was gonna play anyways <laughs> was gonna play the main character and not ben and then they cast a, a person i never heard of before for ben i was sitting here being like oh man uh that means 
that Ben's is going to be like forgotten about and pushed to the side, but like, right. He's not famous. He's, you know, Jessica Chastain and McAvoy are going to eat up all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that didn't happen. Yeah, dude, totally space. I know his bike. I can't believe that. bike. I don't like this bike either. He's the fourth coolest character. He's got the stutter. Yeah. I know this is really bugging me now. Anyways. See, there's Georgie, his brother, who's honestly more compelling. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the thing. Okay. For earlier, Sunshine on Leaf, it's the Proclaimers. You know the Proclaimers? Like, I would walk 500 miles. Oh, yeah. that Okay. Anyways, the whole movie is done to their songs. Like, it's people singing. Oh. Uh, it's a musical, but it's only the Proclaimers music. So, I knew two of the songs. And then the rest of them, I was like, oh, I didn't hear the song before. But anyways, that's Dexter Futzer from earlier. The Proclaimers. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I guess let's let's just uh, we'll get to the ending of the movie and then we'll start talking about the documentary. I guess. Oh, I guess the um, like the ending ending like the. Well, it's just the it was the one it was the other like wrinkle where it's like, are you just doing this weird like fake out scare ending because the first movie did yes. that like one hundred percent because the and the first one makes no sense just like the second one makes no sense. I at least like that it echoed the bus scene, so it's like, yeah. oh, there's sort of a harmony or a structure to it. But yeah, it was just kind of like, oh, Freddy something, gotcha. And it's like, okay, like I kind of just want these characters to do well. Like no, I, don't I really know, but like that's this, the same thing you know? that happened with the first movie. Like Nancy survives the whole mess, Freddy's dead, and then she gets in this car and drives away. And as she drives away, the hood goes over the car, and it's Freddy stripped. It's weird and then, colors. And, and then yeah. her mom's standing at the front of the door, waving, and then all of a sudden, Freddy arms burst through the window and pulls and her through this tiny little window. And you're like, but Freddy's dead. Like, this doesn't make sense. But then the second movie, Freddy dies again, and then all of a sudden, nope, never mind. And you're like, this is just, this is how these movies are. Like, it's just the, right. the writer sat down. Like, and there said, was a moment, there was a moment where I was hoping, like, the bus anxiety thing was just like, no, 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 no. He's just, <laughs> P- he, he just has PTSD. Like, he's just scared. That's, that's like, pretty, oh, okay. It's pretty big. It's like, take nothing. shelter or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, know. I was <laughs> like, that's not what these movies did. Yeah, it was just but like another gotcha arm moment. out of chest, like, yeah. it's like, all right, well, well that's like, the I just, franchise. Yeah, yeah, the moment that, like, the moment that there's like a bright sunny day after the big horror thing in a Nightmare on Elm Street right. movie, you know the night like Freddy's gonna show up or whatever. Like the friend says, like that was a great party last night. It's like people died, so this obviously didn't happen. Like this isn't real, <laughs> you know. That's nobody's like takeaway from that party. Like the barbecue wasn't that great. No, no, no. Like, oh, she was saying it sarcastically. But... She was legit saying it sarcastically. She's like, so great party, Lisa, and you're like. That's not even something well, you should joke about. Well, up until the about. corpses, it was it was it was good. Yeah. It was it was a too soon joke. That's for sure. Too soon. Yeah. Too soon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then last, like breakfast scene again. Uh, those Fu Man shoes, cereal man. That was so funny. Oh man, like the face. On, like I'm, I appreciate that they went out to actually make their own cereal called Fu Manchu. That that the, that super racist, like super racist. Oh, so crazy. The mascot. box art. Was just yeah. like this looks terrible, but like then I also thought about like one of my favorite aspects of um, Mandy, like the movie Hundred Percent, dude, Cheddar Goblin, Cheddar Goblins, <laughs> and like how much they commit to just this like little one-off moment, and they actually filmed a real commercial and created like a whole box market, and then you're like, this is not factored into the movie at all, but here it is. Here it is, guys. Yeah, it was some fun flavor of just like this universe is kind of demented. But in all fairness, it's like the writer sat down and was like. Because the Freddy does gain his his uh, knives out of his fingertips, 
mm-hmm. and like daughter, like the sister is wearing fingertip like nails, right? But the prize like, from the yeah. thing, but it's yeah, supposed yeah, to yeah. show you like it's supposed to be that like subtext again, like <laughs> which is the most the obvious subtext world. in the world. Um, no, yeah. the claws were a subtext that was really subtle, but the. <laughs> Really yeah but the the <laughs> queer themes that was the point of the movie yeah, that was <laughs> really uh okay yeah. so we also set out to watch um so years go by mark watton he mark was Hatton, an up-and-coming yeah coming actor at this yeah. point his first movie he ever did was a robert altman film that i've never heard of but robert altman is obviously i actually like, had it on our like uh planning document for some stuff okay like, uh, yeah, because I've been taking a look at Cher's filmography and, and been puzzling <laughs> over that. You do want to watch yeah. Cher's filmography, which is she's got to some me. cool business going on, but you know, like and a huge influence on Mark Patton specifically. So I thought yeah. it was really funny that that worked out. Yeah, but yeah. So, anyways, that's his first movie. He then he kind of he kind of becomes like an up and rising star. He starts secretly dating um, one of the main actors from Dynasty, like the heartthrob characters from Dynasty. But he's like, he's a he's yeah. A, I wrote it down actually, um, Timothy. Uh, Timothy Patrick Murphy. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. he, like, he, he was kind of like one of those guys who went to Hollywood and he's like, he gave himself a timeline, fight him, became famous. But then he, he literally landed a big movie role right off the bat. And then all of a sudden, two years later, he's ran, he's landing this starring his own movie for Nightmare on Elm Street type of situation. Yeah. And yeah. then this movie happens and like everything kind of falls apart around him. Like this movie came oh, out man. at the height of the like AIDS. AIDS crisis and like the yeah. attention to that. Um, this movie kind of has all those subtexts in it that like people, his agents, like you're only going to be a character actor. Now you can't be a leading man because people are not going to oh, see you. It was so depressing to like hear about the cowardice of his agents really. Yeah. And like the people just kind of flaking on him. Yeah. Yeah. The, the movie is called uh scream queen, oh, scream queen, my nightmare on Elm street. Yes. Right. Yeah, and so it kind of takes it's us through the story. Produced by of, him. Yeah, and yeah. it's kind of the story that goes through like who is Mark Watton, what happened to him. Turns out, you like saying Watton, it's Patton. Patton, like, I apologize, sorry. We got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark Patton. Yeah. He, um, his boyfriend, like, eventually does like die of AIDS type of thing, and then Mark Timothy also d- contracts yeah. it himself. And then yeah. he goes on. He has two more credits on IMDb after Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, they're small, like guest starring things on TV projects one with george clooney actually which is fascinating um, yeah yeah he put, gets the punch george clooney in the face um <laughs> and then he disappears like disappears fully off the face leaves of the, the country and yeah. and the industry and it took another documentary like a decade ago to track him down yeah never sleep uh, again in mexico yeah, yeah. Uh, which i didn't watch for this no, no yeah, i didn't watch yeah. it either. i do have it and i do want to watch it i would be interested more watching this segment than any of the other ones just because I've heard pretty negative things like this. Even this doesn't really treat this movie very well because it kind of assumes that no, like the West Craven legacy is the, is the most true good legacy. Like it's deferential to movies that maybe aren't worth deferring to yeah. past a point. Yeah. Yes. It's a little weird, but, and so it's yeah. like, it kind of, so the like, second half of this documentary really spoke to me more than the first half. That's just talking about, yeah, fans don't really like this one. And yes, blah, blah, blah. It's but I like, do, well, honestly, okay, I did find it fascinating because figure it out. Because I think yeah. the reason why we're doing this season and one of the big reasons why I thought when I came up with this idea for this batch was I wanted to talk about actually Nightmare on Elm Street 2 because it is like I kind of like this movie more now, legitimately like it more than the original Nightmare on Elm Street movies and the subsequent ones. Like oh, I think yeah. there's more to in this movie than there are in anything that Wes Craven put his hand on because 
he starts off with a with a solid horror film, but it does get too much into dream logic nonsense. And then the sequels go way down this dream lore stuff path. And this one just kind of doesn't really worry about those things. Like it's just more trying to do its own thing and it sits separate and it feels separate. But because of that separateness, I actually like it more. Well, it gets to kind of have its own like rhythms and, and identity and iterates on ideas and is feels free to throw out kind of bad ideas that yes. were already looked at. Yep. So I, yeah, I really respected it as just like, no, what, like this is your first sequel. Like you got to play in a different camp and it does. Yes. So yeah, like other than the, which like the other one in the whole series that maybe does that is new nightmare. Yes. Like it's like, all right, let's play with something completely different. And there's some cool stuff there, but I feel like the more successful iteration of that is scream. So yeah. it's like already improved upon by the same people yes. so i don't have to like look at that as like the real no business. and even then it, like you know. like you say that about Night new nightmare and i do like new my night do nightmare that movie does at the end just devolve into a, a general nightmare another one yeah like there's, just, there's like, the boilers and everything yeah <laughs> you it know? just goes into like she goes into a dream world and has to fight freddy again and you're like okay so the meta stuff only took us so far and then it ends and then it just becomes another freddy film Whereas, like, you're right, Scream kind of just, like, Kevin Williamson shows up and figured out the thing that, I guess, Wes Craven was trying to hit on and just, like, perfected yeah. it. Like, Yeah, it's weird. It's, like, Wes Craven comes up with, like, real cool kernels of ideas, and then this was a great, like, iteration on a good idea with this dream thing. And then Kevin Williamson has a good idea that gets threshed and, like, refined and becomes the Scream franchise, which yep. is a great idea, you yes. know? <laughs> like, yep. so it's just this, like refining process and this one did that but kind of got thrown away because other elements of the series were more fun or something like it just kind of or west craven came back and like like tried to take ownership of it again a little yeah like and, this movie yeah. did like do well but it did leave a bad taste in people's mouths and i could see robert shea who was very controlling of this of his movie studio new line um, yeah. Kind of like being like, no, we got to get back on track and we're going to give it back to Wes Craven. And that's what they did because Wes Craven was a co-writer on Dream Warriors. He kind of like was like how James Cameron now treats the trans the tra- Terminator. Terminator franchise. He just yeah, like he shepherds it. Yeah. yeah. And he kind of took over and like and sent him down this path, which is like, hey, like at the end of the day, pop culture has dictated that that is how like that is what Freddy Krueger is and what Nightmare on Elm Street movies are. Oh, I'm yeah. just sitting back like, and saying, I don't care. Like, I don't like that. I like this, this thing over here. And I think like that's eight, changing. Eight or nine out of ten of them are like this. This is the one that's like totally off on its own planet. And yeah. it's like a pretty cool, yeah. Like, like it's a planet I agree, that I find yeah. more fun. I owned all of the movies. Like I had them all on the DVD, like the red case. And they all sit nicely on my shelf. And then when I rewatched them in October, I got rid of four of them. Like I literally. Like, these aren't worth it. No, yeah. I kept two, four, and seven. Okay. So, just fun ones yeah. yeah like i kept the ones i liked and then i was like oh, i mean man. like it's cool to see young johnny depp and like yeah. the c- core premise getting developed but it it is it feels like a beta or something yeah to, it does like, yeah, it feels like uh and it's not even final. that i don't find it that scary i never found it that scary when i was a kid yeah people I don't know. do i don't know why anyways but anyways going back yeah. to scream queen my name renowned Elm Street, we go through mark um Patton's story and just like like the redemption he's got to find too by confronting. So over the years, the writer of this movie would deny David that there Chaskin. was any any yeah. subtext. Like he was like, yeah. no, the reason why this movie has any gay themes in it is because of Mark Panton. 
like of the casting. Like he he just screamed too loud and was yeah. too like a and that you know, dance out. sequence. I didn't yeah. write that dance sequence, and he screamed like a female and all these things. And Mark kind of just got thrown under the bus for a lot of it. And it took for this documentary for them to actually meet each other and for Dave to kind of like hear Mark's story and how the, his words have affected him and to make yeah. amends, which is actually was kind of a cool moment that, cause I thought when oh. I saw that conversation, that conflict happening, I thought it was like, Oh man, this is not going to go well. And then it did. Oh, early in the movie. Yeah. Cause like, honestly, when I was debating like uh MVP stuff for our regular segment about that, like uh, there was some front runner stuff, but my my perception of the story was getting impacted by this documentary because I was like, oh no, David Chaskin kind of really did did somebody wrong here. Like mm-hmm. that's unfortunate stuff going on. Because I responded to the Lisa character. I liked that the dad was getting development. Like I was I was really looking at David as a candidate, right? Yeah. Like personally. Yep. But then hearing that he kind of was cowardly about confronting his own writing and was sort of like protective of. Like no 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 this got corrupted or whatever like yeah like he like, didn't oh, want to no, be he didn't want to be the one that took the blame like it's what's okay what I find is really frustrating is like this movie when it came out like he was immediately arms length away like oh it's not my fault that it went badly but now which like, is so weird to say about a movie that like did ten times its budget and yes like, but like was a but success, it was you know yeah but yeah. it was one of those things that left a sour taste in Hollywood so people don't get those like they don't get yeah the village again. voice write ups about yeah. it and kind of like oh weird a gay movie and so and then all what? of a sudden thirty years go by. And it has a new flare-up of, like, pop culture relevance. And then he starts changing his tune. Like, he the did narrative add, around it changes. Yeah. Yeah, like, he did so add then subtext. then he can warm and, up to it. And I'm just, yeah. like, sitting here being like, yeah, he's kind of cowardly. I'm not, I'm not completely convinced that he did this on purpose. I actually think that there's this, like, perfect set of, like, things that hit heads. Like, pop culture. What was cool at the time. The Risky Business dance scene was, like, that seems legitimate to me. Um, like the fact that this movie has like, maybe he was trying to have like some commentary upon like killing men versus killing women, but didn't think about what that would mean with all these other pieces. I don't think somebody sat down and and created this very homoerotic film. I think this was accidentally created by all the moving pieces that just kind of worked together to create this thing. Like he put elements in that were like, that would be interesting and not really thinking like, oh, that would be really impactful though too. Like this is, I don't even think like change some stuff. You know? I would say like, yeah. I, I believe him when he says that he put in homophobic stuff in there. Like, like Freddy, it was meant to comment on how hateful Freddie is. And well, no, no, like that about like the burgeoning gayness in, in Hollywood, like Freddie, the reason why Freddie's attacking is because his he's coming out of this boy and he's attacking other men around him type of thing the violence it brings like i would say like it's more likely that there's homophobic stuff in there than there's homo like he intentionally put that in there then he put in the homoerotic stuff and i think like freddy's a homophobic like uh no like it's more like he represents that in the story he represents like that uh this cultural idea in the the mid 80s that gay people were pariahs on society that were bringing AIDS to us and like going to kill everybody and stuff like that. Like the timing around the AIDS element was something I hadn't even really considered about like this came out is a hit, but then immediately this becomes like the biggest news story about these relationships and like rock Hudson dying and all. And then the fact that the village voice wrote their article that would, that would destroy this movie's legacy. Well, especially for the yeah the audience at the time yeah for the audience for would... the a horror audience oh yeah absolutely there's no way that yeah like, horror audiences have been like I love horror movies and I'm sitting here being a horror fan but I'm gonna tell you like it is the last one to the gate of like 
equality and understanding cultures and right like, like the, they there's like some comments from fans like horror fans in the in, in this documentary scream queen that talk about like oh but you know you feel like an outsider like the characters in yeah. it and like i responded to that like mm-hmm. so that you know these these gay audiences love the final girl trope too like they're yes. rooting for jamie lee curtis and stuff because like there's power there oh sure is often granted you know but it wasn't but, until very recently that like the black guy was still like never like if you put a black guy the, in there, he's gonna the, die. The success, yeah. Like it's just like sure. so deeply racist until very recently. Like, oh yeah. yeah. Like I would say honestly, oh, they, Halloween. Yeah. Like one thing I really love about David Gordon Green's Halloween is it like it doesn't take into consideration race, gender, like that stereotype of like are they having sex? Are they doing drugs? Like Michael is just a killing force who will kill whatever sit in front of him, and it doesn't matter yeah. who that person is. We're just like horror movies didn't do that before. Jason almost oh, like there's the like one. this moral judgment meter in yes. all of them. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then this new movie comes around and that's why it becomes more hurtful because I like watching this new Halloween movie. I found like I was sad a lot more because in old movies it was like, yeah, like these teenagers are going to die because they're having sex, blah, blah, blah. It's funny. But in this movie, it was like, oh, yeah, that these teenagers did have sex and do weed, but I really like them. Like, they're actually really relatable. They're actually nice. just have a fun rapport with each other, and yeah. we're just having a good night. Yeah. And then they're horrifically killed, and you're like, oh, they're, if you make a character into a human, all of a sudden, I'm not going to cheer for Michael killing them because they're humans. Whereas, like, when in a, in a horror film, they're not humans. They're just characters or they're archetypes. Right. They're just, like, yeah, violent gags. Yes. <laughs> it's kind of crazy, yeah. So, anyways. I. Uh, yeah, no, there's definitely so Scream Queen, to, good documentary. Yeah. Like I, I was, I was very happy to hear that like that there are people that grew up watching this movie and feeling like a sense of like kinship and like and or it's connection. like oh I feel seen by this big movie. Yeah, that's really important. Yeah, yeah, like it was it was really something to hear that that happened. Yes, and uh, yeah, no, it was it was interesting to hear his story and just kind of the weird the the Broadway thing was uh like uh. The Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, which I think is like a televised play. I don't know if they made a movie adaption of it. Yeah, yeah, you're right with Cher and everything. I just wanted to note that what we were talking about earlier. Yeah, like he was, Um, he was, he first got a job on the play, and then Robert Altman was directing that play, and then he just mm -hmm. made that into a film. Yeah, Uh, Robert Englund appears quite a bit in this, talking about it. Like he, he seems you know aware of like the change in narrative and like i was happy to hear him talk about it like it was a good like they have a big reunion with all the cast and that was a nice thing to see like honestly all of this just made me more like man i gotta pay more attention to these like horror conventions when they come to town and like who's here because like those can be fun weird little events and i i would occasionally go there to buy some like friday the 13th nes game or something but i wasn't really like keyed into the panels and stuff sure but there's such a like independent small like fervor around this stuff that i want to like see more well even like so what i think about is like do any of these actors who some of them are have gone into bigger things like the coach is like is a character actor who's been in many things robert rustler yeah Yeah. did he do you see like all of a sudden he 40 years later is sitting on this panel and having this, like, maybe a small group of really fervent fans talking about this one horror movie he did in the mid-80s that was not a success. Like, and yeah, he has where to he's, sit like, there towel-whipped and Yeah, whatever. like, he has to yeah. sit there and, like, relate to this audience. And I'm like, man, you think about how many movies he's been in, and this is the thing that he's bringing him out to at conventions, right? Like, and he's talking about yeah, nowadays. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. that's I think that's something that's really cool about these these little conventions that, like these people that, like, were together working for a month of their long careers all of a sudden – 40 years later are getting back together and like 
do they actually even remember? So many actors you hear about, they don't remember even working on whole movies because it was just like, like Nathan, <laughs> do you remember two years ago? Oh, I know um, who you're going to throw at me and April? I love it. Cause, no, 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 I yeah. don't know who you're going to throw at me. I'm just saying, do you remember a whole month of your job anytime? Oh, Oh, dude, no, time folds and That's what I'm saying. Like, I think we, yeah. we romanticize the idea of acting as like, no, they must have had an amazing time on all these sets. And oh, it's dude, like- I thought we were going to start talking about Mickey Rourke's amazing memory because, <laughs> oh my gosh, that guy. Like, he's sitting down with Robert De Niro yeah. in, like, legendary scenes, and it's just like... Dude, I don't remember. Like, I, I went on a walk with my dog that day, yeah. and I remember that. So okay, uh, I yeah. really want to like, I really want to cover this movie on a batch in the future, and I think we have one that we would work really well for. But I mainly yeah. want to do it because I want to talk about this like commentary documentary thing that they did. Yeah, we're so we're gonna talk about Angel Heart in the future. There's, yeah, there's an amazing happen. movie called Angel Heart. They invite Mickey Rourke in to come do a commentary track. He is just able to give them nothing. Yeah, and then they like, just ended up making like pick a, his brain. It's like, oh no, it's all gone. Yeah. <laughs> like, and they, they end up just getting a 15 minute documentary out of him watching this two hour movie. And it's just him being like, yeah, I, I, I probably sat down with Robert De Niro and was like, yeah, let's do that. Like, it was like the worst, most boring. Oh, thing. he remembered his lines. And so did I. And we yeah. did a scene. It's like, and he's just hanging wow. out with his dog smoking the whole time. It's just so weird. Anyways, yeah. we're going to watch. As a viewer, I'm mythologizing these scenes because like, dude, that was awesome, right? Robert yeah. De Niro is like the devil. It's like, oh, I don't know. That was like a Thursday or something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that's so what I mean. Crazy. Like we kind of like have this obsession and I'm like, oh, okay. But here are these people that like you're asking them to remember what happened 40 years earlier to a movie that was not a huge success in their career. Yeah. And so it's, it just fades away. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's so like just, we got to talk to the script supervisor or something. Yeah. Like it's just one of those things where it's like it, 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 you kind of like forget like – I forget about whole months of my job and like all of a sudden like we're going to ask somebody to remember, hey, they remember that movie you made that wasn't a success? No. 40 years ago? No, I don't remember. Yeah. Like you think about that. Like how often oh, do man, people- Oh man, I was getting details wrong about like how long I worked at jobs on this show. <laughs> you know, like it's just, it just folds in. It doesn't, I That's get what it. I mean. But for us, it's like, oh no, but that was like a cool movie. Surely yes. you remember shooting that cool yeah, movie you exactly. did. This thing oh no, that I was love. my job that month. I don't know. Yeah. Like, because yeah. like, I was also living life and, and I wasn't doing that only that for that time. And I wasn't actually that person. Yeah. So. Oh man. Anyways. So anyways. <laughs> anyway. I think at the end of the day, like I have to say this is my, like, this is the superior sequel to me. Oh, for sure. This, this like, oh, I'm so glad this happened in this category because it's like, for real, this is a superior movie. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's, it's, it was really something watching it again with new perspective and really just paying attention to it. Yes. <laughs> like, it was just like the ways it's deviating and, and playing around with the, the formulas and stuff. It was really cool to see. So, yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. We didn't even talk about the font, but it's pretty sick. There's, like, slashes. <laughs> and then it's I big know, the metal. Freddy's Revenge part is so weird. It's like, like an album. or so, It's big metal yeah. T2 letters or something. It's I don't something. know why. It was weird. Yeah. Anyways. But, you know, solid okay, stuff so- there. We do like to wrap up our episodes with MVP. I mean, obviously, we had a great time with this movie. Lots of good things yeah. to like. But we want to really focus in on something we thought was uh, extra special. Um, mm-hmm. Nathan, do you have an MVP for this episode? Well, like, it, it was this kind of weird battle where it's like, is it the writing? Is it the is it the acting? But, like, I wrote down, like, I was really impressed with Mark Patton's performance. Mm-hmm. Like, he just has scenes that are just like, like, I just assumed this launched a career of some kind, and I just didn't know. 
And then to hear like, no, no, like he was done after this. It's like, what? Like he did a better acting job than Johnny Depp did in that first movie (laughs) and had way more complicated scenes to deal with and like really aced it. Like, I guess he screamed too loud, but like, I would be scared if I just murdered a man. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I was just like, that was, that was really good stuff. I don't think it was screaming too loud. That was the problem. It was the pitch. It was the pitch. Sure. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't had woken up with a knife glove and you know, like who knows what my scream would sound like. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I was just like, so sad that, I mean, he built a, a life with these painting down in Mexico in this cute little store he has like it's with his, his partner, Hector, like there's a good thing going on with him. But this, like, burnout from Hollywood is such a bummer. Well, do you, so, so they didn't get into this, but I assume I'm assuming why he's in Mexico is because yeah. the drugs that help people on HIV to maintain are affordable ex- there. Yeah, they're actually cheap. Like in America, yeah. they're a- astronomically expensive. But in, in Mexico, <laughs> yeah. they're actually really cheap. So he, I guarantee you that's why he lives there, because yeah. he can afford. And the, here his- the U.S. if he, you know, pop up and visit people or I don't know, who mm-hmm. knows. But yeah. Just, yeah, his acting was really, really sharp stuff. And I can't believe the subsequent fallout of all of it. It was, it was crazy. Like just in watching the movie, like the only thing I was actually bummed about that was putting him in like a maybe conversation was he doesn't get to be in the conclusion as much as I would have liked because he's Freddy, you know, but overall it was still like a real standout starring role and i i wanted to give it to him so mark Patton, you know mm-hmm. and d- despite the documentary but also the documentary so yeah well yeah. i mean the documentary added much i i was really happy that we watched the type of thing i think that was something that was that was good um mm-hmm. oh man fascinating okay so yeah. i was going back and forth between a few things um yeah. i was like well obviously maybe jack gets something because he brought these oh, he things. Does sharp job here, yeah. But yeah. that being said, watching the documentary really made me like, okay, I'm taking away from Jack because Jack, honestly, like, what does he actually do? He just do? doesn't he, know what, what's going on. Like, he has yeah. no idea. Like, he literally <laughs> was like, he says on screen, I didn't even think about this. Like, I was I was out searching for S&M bars in the daytime, so I didn't see it filled with these people. I'm like, but you still filmed it. Like, they were filmed after. Like, anyways. So Jack got off of it. Mark is a close one for me. But I really like, and I totally agree with everything you say. Mark would probably be right up there with me. But I want to give it to another person, which is actually fascinating to me. It's Rachel uh, Talalay. Okay. She is the production designer. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. I feel we've talked about some of her stuff here. Yeah. She is, she went on to have a fascinating career after this. She she directed Freddy's Dead. So Friday, mm-hmm. Friday 13th, Friday uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 6. She directed Tank Girl which lots of people love. Oh, dude. Okay. And she yeah. went on to direct a bunch of the episodes from Sherlock. Like the, the Cumberbatch? And yeah, Cumberbatch episode. She's like a big TV director now. Freeman? Type of thing. Oh, wow. She directed okay. a bunch of Doctor Who, uh, a lot of the CW, like DC shows type of thing she directed. Did, did she kind of like step into this production like mid, like there was something about like the original production designer of the first movie had to leave. Yeah, like she was only here. I'm gonna go look up her production design manager. So like she fielded this crazy pass and like short. Production she was time. the assistant on the first movie, and then she became the full production manager on the second film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So I would no, say good like call. Yeah. The fact that she was able to wrangle this type of production value, the fact that she was able to wrangle this type of production value on the budget that they were talking about having, it doesn't feel cheap. This movie does not feel cheap at all to me. Like all the stuff I hear oh, yeah. about. All the stuff I hear about, like, them being like, oh, man, like, people quitting because they're not getting enough money. And I'm like, I don't have that sense watching this film. 
Mm-hmm. So like it plays within its budget and, and does a great job. Yeah, and it makes the most so. of it. Whereas, like, I would make the argument that Dream Child looks terrible. Like, whoever <laughs> the production manager of that movie is, it just looks terrible the whole time. And you're like, like we threw up some color filters and, and not know. even that. It just, oh man, Nathan, you need to watch that movie again. Dream Child is garbage. It's like, I own all terrible. of them. I have a big old box set of Blu-rays, uh, which really worked out for this movie, but you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah so anyways, got some turkeys for sure. I'm giving it to Rachel Talley. Mark is right up there with, with it. I think he does a fantastic job. Uh, again, yeah. lots of heart, um, especially hearing his story connected afterwards, but like watching this movie again, I'm still, like, really amazed by how effective. And that's the thing, like, the longevity of this film in my life, even though I have this renewed appreciation of it as an adult, has always been, like, the production design. Because this stuff when I was a kid, like, that bus teetering on those two pillars. Spires and the colors and, yeah. That that stuck in my brain as, like, that is cool looking. And that just stuck. So... Yeah, good on her. Like she's she did a fantastic job. I guess to say her name again one more time. We'll do Rachel, Rachel Talalay. Okay, there's our there's our heroes for this one. Um, I'm gonna move into a question that I'm gonna sort of relate to a sequence in the documentary that really bummed me out. It was talking about like just like how casual homophobic language was yeah. in yeah. comedies and and movies at the time. And, like yeah. Teen Wolf is in there, and it's just it just quickly shows you like six or seven times of just like. You could just be watching a PG movie and just having a day, and then it's just like, oh man, like just some slurs thrown yeah, around. Don't be an F, real reckless. Like don't be an F yeah. word type of thing. And you're just, like, oh, just being real, real coarse about it. Uh, so in that vein, I guess it's like, what's a comedy you used to really like that has kind of just aged out of being cool anymore? <laughs> like okay, <laughs> you know? so. In which context you mean like a comedy that like I you think it was funny and it's just not funny anymore, or, or a like comedy that if you watch aged. it now you kind of cringe a little bit and you gotta apologize. It's like oh man, I yeah, Ace Ventura, really good. Like the first one or the second one? Or uh, the first one. The character, okay, yeah. No, 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 not oh, the character. The the, 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 the transphobia okay, yeah. nonsense that happens like that is a whole big gag at the end of that movie. It yeah. is like there's we some, sort of I still think there's some really like funny things. Yeah, like there's some really funny things in that movie. Jim Carrey's bringing his A game, and that's why I kind of go to the second one. I've always liked the second one more because that Rhino scene is hilarious. Like it still is great. Him, yeah, that Rhino. I'm laughing about it and the Slinky. Anyways, but yeah. that first movie, like you just have that trans joke, like, and it's just not appropriate at all. Like it's so and it's like they rude. hang their hat on that in the final act. Like oh it's yeah, like and they're making fun of people. Of it, yeah. And I can just see somebody who grew up with like, like somebody who grew up just watching this like really popular kids movie. And here's this thing, and it's like, oh, the bad guy's a person dressed up like a woman. Is that terrible? I mean, Brian De Palma gets into this stuff like too much in his career. Oh, his films are prominent in this in this montages in this <laughs> yeah. movie too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But in uh, anyways, yeah, yeah. So like Ace Ventura, that 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 big gag at the end definitely has not aged well at all yeah my kind of like glib answer is just peter sellers uh (laughs) but i'll elaborate on uh like the party is the big one because it's just like full-on brown face like that little moment in memoirs of invisible man that was kind of like eh. imagine an entire movie (laughs) where that's the joke he's saying things in an indian accent and just being like there's little slapstickery of just like that's just funny stuff with an elephant or like he destroys this bathroom or whatever yeah but it's constantly but he, overshadowed. The is that he is he is he's destroying a British this bathroom. man 
He's yeah. destroying this bathroom, but he's brown facing the whole time. So it's like always there. Like it's it's just the the yeah, like cultural insensitivities are just the movie. Yes. And I used to think that movie like honestly, it would be like in our like, oh, the one night movie, like we're going to this party and it just goes downhill and it's crazy, you know, like mm-hmm. that manic sixties Blake Edwards energy or whatever. But it's just a cringe fest now. I can't even deal with well, that. You actually, you know? this is fascinating. You showed me this movie. Oh, did I? I was yeah. Like, Dude, this is some funny stuff. No, and no. You like, were like, I was like, I've never really grew up watching Peter Sellers. My dad never cared for his comedy. And so I've never yeah. never seen, like, I've actually seen a Peter Sellers comedy. Like, I grew, I saw Dr. Strangelove, which obviously has lots of his comedy in it. Oh, just th- that has merit beyond. Yeah. 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 But I've never seen, like, a Pink Panther film. I've never seen, like, The Party and you're like, oh man, you gotta watch the party. So we watched it together, and I'm watching. And I'm like, yeah, there's some really funny, um, like physical comedy stuff. Gags. But like, yeah, I grew up watching like people that built upon that. So it's hard to watch the old stuff ones. I've seen people like Chris Farley build upon it or Jim Carrey build upon it. Right. Um, yeah. But then yeah. yeah, the brown face. I was just like, this is like rude. It's just rude. Inherently. <laughs> oh yeah. Like you know, talk about Apu's voice and Hank Azaria and everything. This is like live action makeup on screen yeah. like british dude making fun of indian people like it is rough stuff yeah so it yeah it's one i just wanted like purge from my like it's like i i know i was i thought it was really funny as a kid like birdie num nums and whatever yeah. but you can't do that anymore so no. <laughs> yeah no, uh, more broadly like his his pink panther stuff is like a british guy making fun of french people it's a little dicey but as we discussed with Steve Martin, like Ambogo is funny, so we Here's can't, something. you know. That, is, uh, that <laughs> like, scene, that scene came up on my TikTok. Somebody was like, "That scene's also funny," and it's just him being like that whole scene of that person trying to like teach him hamburger, and it's yeah, he's doing it, and it's so good. Like so as good. long as France is cool with it, and they don't make a documentary about how it, much it hurt them, Whoa, and ruined their John lives. Jean Reno like, is in that movie, so yeah, so you know he. I think maybe implicit Jean Reno is like he is the ambassador to France and and like he's like in like to be fair Jean Reno brings with him so many badassery things because he's awesome in Ronin he's awesome in Mission Impossible he makes French people very French and awesome in Godzilla he does oh I loved him in Godzilla like making fun of the coffee and being like Oh, this is what you call a pastry? Like this is what? This is this? And then all of a sudden, no, it's, it says French roast. So but they're it has like to be they're good. running circles yeah. around the CIA and the CIA and the and the military and the FBI. And like oh, French these, Secret Service. Yeah, yeah, like this like little ragtag group of French intelligence are just like ruling Easing this it. movie. But like yeah, very yeah. French jokes. So they seem like they can make fun of themselves. Yeah, so that era, like, I still bought a Pink Panther collection. I have yet to look at it. Like, I'm willing to reevaluate. Maybe there's some stuff in there that's terrible. But the party is the one I put on this on this one here. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That's fair. I've, yeah, if anyone wants to ask us questions, we're on several platforms now. We're on uh, Twitter, at OK Video Podcast. Instagram, OK Video Podcast, all lowercase. Uh, you can visit our website, where we have a secret season of episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the first season, which is, you know, we I alluded to our fly episode today. So if you want to dive into that, um, but you can email us at OK or Ryan at OKVideo.ca or Nathan at OKVideo.ca. Also, just a big info dump right there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so superior sequels next week, we're looking at Clerks 2. 
which is directed by Kevin Smith. And I fondly remember Rosario Dawson being pretty great in that. Yep. So I'm looking forward to seeing that again. <laughs> but uh, any any final like Kevin Smitheries or? Oh, no. Like, I think it's called Clerks to the Clerkening. I'm joking. That's not what it's called, but not. Yeah, I. <laughs> yeah. But well, yeah. So that's that's next week. But until then, I'm Nathan and I'm Ryan. Bye bye for now. Thank <laughs> you.